Hello, I'm Kirsty Bugle and welcome to the Data Protection Tea Break, the podcast designed to help you digest all things data protection over a cuppa. In May 2021, we launched Project Bijou, a social initiative that aims to support and nurture positive cultural change around how people and organisations treat people's data. The idea is to engage people on a cultural level rather than thinking about just the legal or compliance side. Part of this is to help people understand why the law is good for them and how it makes our world a better place. In this episode, the Bailiwick's Deputy Data Protection Commissioner, Rachel Masterton, talks us through why the rights we have under the law matter to us and what they mean. So, what has data protection ever done for us? Those of a certain age or taste in humour might get my reference there to Monty Python's Life of Brian, where the anti-Roman resistance group was saying that the Romans had never done anything for them, which begins a list of all the good things that the Romans did do. Well, data protection might have a bit of a bad reputation itself. For some people, it might be hard to think about all the benefits that data protection laws bring us as individuals and to see beyond what might seem like extra work and inconvenience. Well, today, the Bailiwick's Deputy Data Protection Commissioner, Rachel Masterton, will aim to dispel that myth and explain exactly what data protection does do for us by looking at the 10 rights the law gives us. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Clearly, we're not going to be able to do all this in the style of Monty Python, and of course, we know that the Romans weren't all good, whereas our data protection laws and what we're trying to do with them does only come from a good place, trying to keep people safe and make their lives better. I'm sure many of our listeners know that the laws that we have are built on human rights principles and are designed to prevent the misuse of personal data that facilitated many of the atrocities seen during the Second World War. Um, So if we can, let's run through each in turn and explain why it's good for us and why these rights matter to us, regardless of how we feel about the Romans and the life of Brian. Thank you, Kirsty. It's important to realise that the data protection legislation gives these rights to individuals so that they can have an understanding of how their data is being used and a level of control as to what um, organisations may be doing with their own personal data. Um, because all too often uh, there's a feeling that things are going on in the background and we don't really know what it's all about. And this, um, these rights allow people to, to, uh, to understand that a bit better and to do something about things when they're concerned that things might not be um, being handled appropriately. Because that's part of the problem, isn't it? Actually knowing if something has been done wrong or not, or just like carrying on regardless. Yes, that's it. All too often, uh, if you do question as to why something is being done, why do you need this personal data, the answer comes back is that's the way it's always been. And as, But the rights within data protection aim to help individuals understand that and to give individuals good information about what's going on and ways of doing things with uh, when they feel there is um, something to be concerned about. So the first right is the right to information about what is happening with your data when it is being processed by an organisation. So when data is collected by an organisation, by um, some uh, entity that's doing something, whether it be for you at your request or because they're doing a a process in the back end, um, then uh, they should be telling you what's going on. So nothing really should be a surprise about how your data is being used. And that includes making it clear who they are and what they're doing with it, the purpose of processing, outlining the lawful basis that they need for processing that personal data. And there are many of those 
um, um, within the law. Uh, it's not always consent that is required in order to process personal data, but where it isn't consent, you should still be being told what's going on so that you don't have those surprises and so you can see what is happening with your data. And you should also receive information about who else this data might be shared with, where it might be sent to, how long it's going to be kept, and a reminder about these rights so that you know at the time of collection that you've got these rights and you can exercise those rights um, at any point uh, during your, your contact with that organisation. It's one of the ones that we'd be familiar with regarding that right to do with, you know, when you're going on a new website and agreeing to cookies and things like that and signing yes. up to something. Yes, that's it. So it is the information you're provided. So it's cookie information. It might be known as privacy notice information or data collection or data processing statements that just explain what's going on. Because one of the principles around uh, within the data protection law is about fairness, lawfulness and transparency. So it is, this is what we are doing with the information we have. This is the information we have about you even so that you can understand what they're doing um, and what they're doing it with. Um, and then the other things around that about um, your rights and how they're going to um, deal with um, passing information on if they need to as part of the relationship you have with that organisation. So right one is really about then telling people what they're doing, what they've got and what's going to happen to it. Yes. Um, does that then lead us on to right two? right of access. Yes, so you have got the right of access to information. So you should be being told when the data is first collected what's going on, because nobody wants to find out later on what's happening. But if you've got concerns, or if you just want to check what is happening, what they've got, what they're doing with it, then you can exercise this right of access. So that allows you to ask for the personal data that organisations may be processing about you. And they should confirm if they're processing data about you at all. They should um, provide you uh, with the um, the information about how they're using that data. So the same information you get as a result of right one, you should get again, um, often more uh, bespoke and, and specific to your um, own circumstances. And you should get a copy of the information that they are processing, the personal data they're processing. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you will get every single bit of paper that they hold if the information is duplicated across a number of um, uh, documents, but you should be told what personal data there is and given um, a copy of that um, so that you are aware of what's going on. Are there some cases where you might not get told the information they've got about you? There are some exemptions within the law um, There's and there's an exception as well. So if your information is closely tied up with a third party, then of course by disclosing that to you might compromise confidentiality that they may owe to a third party. So they will need to do a balancing exercise to see whether it's appropriate to disclose it to you, whether it's appropriate to possibly compromise somebody else's rights, um, and whether they can do it in a way that you get your information but you don't get somebody else's. So they may, there may be some things that you don't get in quite the format that you're expecting, or you may not get at all in those circumstances. But um, the organisation doing that needs to be able to justify why they've taken the decisions that they've taken. So it shouldn't just be, I can't be bothered, so I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to give you precious little. It should be that they've taken the time to go through the data and determine that. And again, there are some exemptions that may apply and may be inappropriate to provide information. So um, unfortunately, if the police are currently investigating you for something and you aren't aware of that yet, a subject access request is unlikely to tell you that they're doing that because to tell you that at that stage may compromise something going on. So that's an extreme example of an exemption, but there are exemptions within the law. So sometimes you won't always get back what you're expecting, but there should be reasons for that. 
And will they tell you those reasons? Often they will tell you, but sometimes they may not if it's going to compromise the purpose itself. So sometimes it may look slightly odd um, and on occasions uh, it's not what you were expecting. You can question them about that and then there's the option to come to us and to make a complaint if you feel that you've not had your request responded to in the right way. Mm. So does that lead us nicely into right three? Uh, the right to object to processing for direct marketing purposes. This is a lovely right in that there are no ifs and buts around this, right? This is, this is an absolute right. If you do not want marketing material, you need to um, not receive marketing material. So when um, you're, uh, you get something through, there should always be a way of you quickly and simply saying, I don't want that anymore, take me off the list. And nothing they say about, oh, but it might be a wonderful offer. We've got an, an interesting promotion or something on that we think you're going to be um, that, that particularly um, might, might be attractive to you. That doesn't matter. It is, I don't want this anymore, so stop sending me this stuff. Yeah. So if you accidentally, you know, agree to the marketing, you know, that when people you're first signing up with something and then you get bombarded with emails, I've I've seen them before, you know, the leaving part at the bottom of the email. Yeah, that yeah. should be easy and quick. Yes, it should be easy and quick to do um, so that you've got control over that. And it may be that you don't specifically sign up. So the way direct marketing works, if you've got a relationship with the organisation, then they can use something called the soft opt-in to send you information of a similar nature. Um, because you've already been because a customer. You've already, yeah, yeah, because you're already a customer. But if you then say, I, I don't want it anymore. Love your product, love what I've got. I'll come back again another day even, but just stop sending me stuff that's going to fill out my inbox. I don't want all this information. They should stop it at that point. So the next one, right number four, right mm. to object to processing on grounds of public interest. Now, this one I think is one that perhaps has been confusing to people before when I've spoken to people about it. Yes, this uh, right does not apply in all circumstances. So you can't exercise this right all the time. It can only be exercised where um, public interest is the basis for the processing that is being uh, carried out. Um, and so where that is the case, that would be if uh, the government is um, using um, a particular condition, the public interest, a public uh, task condition to do the processing, um, you can exercise this right. Or if an organisation is using legitimate interest, so is saying, in order for us to do our business, we need to be able to do this, we need to process your data, we need to provide you with whatever it is, or, or do whatever they're doing with the data, um, then you can exercise this right. And this involves telling them why you don't want them to do that anymore. And they do a balancing exercise. So this isn't an absolute right. This is one where it's conditional. And the organisation can decide that they uh, feel that the public interest in processing outweighs your protections um, and the rights that you have over your data. And there will be circumstances where it quite clearly should stop and circumstances, again, if we think about law enforcement or safeguarding children, where um, the need to do that outweighs your um, desire for that to stop. And would like coronavirus testing and things like that fall into that? Maybe something we're familiar with now. So, you know, when we see the numbers and the statistics of cases, mm -hmm. so you they need to keep track of the number of cases. Is that the kind of thing as well? It may well do. So um, depending on how the processes work, um, it may be that that's all done anonymously and no information about the individuals goes to the people that put together the stats. But at some point there will be something that says, I'm taking your... 
results I've got from you and the results I've got from other people I've done today. I'm pulling out some numbers and I'm sending it through. So using the information to collate those stats, they will be processing personal data as part of that because it's your results. Um, but you're not part of that at the end when it comes out and, and, you know, in public. So it doesn't say Rachel Masterton has tested positive and this is where she got it from, you know, and they start categorising how it's, how it's arrived. Um, um, and it's unlikely that they are going to um, be content to stop using those that data to produce those stats because they, they've got a reason for the stats. Mm-hmm. But they would need to demonstrate that and be able to um, convey that to you as the individual and if you are still concerned about the processing to us, if a complaint were to come to us, so that we can understand and we can see that the judgment and the balancing has been done properly. It sounds like one that we're probably... Lo- largely unaware of really you know even knowing that some of this processing is perhaps taking place yes this is one of the 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 rights that i mean there are several rights that exist within the law exist within a guidance on our website and the documentation but the key one people think about is i want to see what they're doing with my data so they think about the right of access and um, sometimes that's all you want to exercise is your right of access but actually you might get something back and say, well, I'm not sure about that processing anymore. Um, and they've used the, the public interest ground, so they've said it's legitimate interest. So now I'm going to look at exercising this right as a result of having um, obtained the information about what data is being used and actually seeing that data. Yeah, so it leads on often from another one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so then right five, right to object to processing for historical or scientific purposes. I think we kind of touched on that a bit with the earlier one. Yes, it is um, circumstances around research essentially, so allowing research to continue to go on um, so that um, uh, things can happen, so that cures can be invented if we're taking it right to the very extreme, um, things that we would want, the, the, the real good stuff that is going to help uh, humankind. Um, by allowing people to do this and, and, and all sorts of research things so you can exercise your right to object. No processing around historical or scientific purposes should be about making decisions about any one person. It should all be sort of collating it and doing the good research stuff. So you should never get a piece of uh, work that's relied on um, historical or scientific purposes as the, the reason for processing that says one specific thing about one specific person that impacts their life from then on. Um, but you can exercise your right. But there are circumstances, if it's a public authority that's doing the processing, then again they can d- determine that public interest is greater than your um, significant interest as an individual and do a balancing exercise to say we're still going to do that processing even though you um, are, are not content with that. And the data has to be of a living person to be covered by this right and law as well, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. that's it. So historically, that that's why you get the interesting scenarios sometimes at the beginning of the year when um, the archives in the UK are, are opened up and you get to see what Maggie Thatcher wrote um, about Neil Kinnock um, from 30 years ago because... Um, if it is even 30 years, it's probably longer ago than that now, um, because um, it's now been decided that that can come out and be looked at because it's about something very recent. Things about deceased persons ceases to be covered by data protection law. So then when you're looking much further back, um, data protection doesn't apply at all. Okay, so right number six, the right to rectification. Yes, yeah, so this is the right to get things changed when you think that they are inaccurate. Um, and that's a very useful one. And we've seen in... Um, examples um, of organisations dealing with the, um, the need to keep information up to date and accurate when you think about um, make sure you've given your doctor your right um, 
address so you can get your vaccination letter <laughs> and those sorts of things. Um, so where you know the data is incorrect, then you can make a request and ask that the organisation make the change to make it accurate. Now, sometimes that would be nice and straightforward. So I've moved house, you've got the wrong address, please can you change it and make it the right one? Sometimes it may be that there's a difference of opinion about a circumstance and the way that the organisation has interpreted something may be different to the way I've interpreted it. And therefore, when I see it written down, I'm not content that that is accurate. Now, it may be in order to do the job they've done that they have to keep that data looking the way they collected it but they should be giving you the opportunity to add your side essentially to the story so that anyone else looking at it can say all right okay, so now I've got both views I can use this in a more informed way going forward um, so that's the the right to rectification so that could come under the relationships with employees and employers perhaps you know maybe if there was a dispute yes know, Yes, yeah, a dispute about conduct or performance or something and you've got the appraisal documents written up and as part of that process you'll often be given it before it gets signed so that you can have those discussions at an early stage and say, can we tweak that, that's not quite what I meant, I wasn't clear there or you've got that, you've misinterpreted that. But if it goes ahead and they say, no, we want to sign it like this because this is what we understand or in, you know, it's somebody's point of view and, and um, that's the point of view they want to stick with because that, that's how they viewed it you should then be given the opportunity to put your side so that someone else coming to it can say, right, I'll look at this, I'll, I'll use these two pieces of, of information to try and determine what seems to be the right thing. So it could be allowing you the ability to add to an existing record. Yes, yes, that's yeah. it, yeah. Okay, so right number seven, the right to erasure. And this isn't about a 1980s pop band, is it? It isn't about a 1980s pop band, though I do like the fact that if you look at... Um, Erasure's back catalogue, they do have a little respect is one of their songs. And that is essentially data protection legislation to a T. It's all about having respect for the individuals um, and for your data when an organisation is dealing with it. But yeah, this is um, the right to Erasure. So you can, in some circumstances, ask organisations to delete data they hold about you. Um, and um, people may be familiar with the Google case from um, earlier this decade um, where they were... Google were asked to sever links between a local newspaper article about somebody who had been declared bankrupt and the fact that it kept appearing on search terms. Um, and he felt that that wasn't fair, so he took that through to the European Union Court of Justice and it was ruled that that link should be severed and so this right was given more life because it was it brought to the fore that this right existed and you could make these erasure requests. So in some circumstances you can ask for data to be erased um, but it's not all circumstances. So um, if you uh, if the organisation no longer needs the data, then you can make a request um, stating you want it erased. If um, the data is being processed on the basis of consent and you've withdrawn that consent, again, you can ask that that be taken, uh, be deleted. Um, or if information has been unlawfully processed, so if they shouldn't have that information and it's been shown that they shouldn't have that information, then they should delete it as a result of a, an erasure request. But as with a number of these rights, it's not cut and dried, so there could be cases put forward by organisations to say that no, they still need to hold this information. So not to hark back to law enforcement too much, but no uh, police force is going to delete your entire criminal record just because you say you don't like it. Um, and um, uh, so it's, it's worth bearing in mind that it may not be the answer you're expecting when you exercise these rights, but you do have these rights. Um, and as I said before, organisations need to be able to show why they've made that decision. 
So it shouldn't just be, I can't be bothered to do this. It should yeah, be, yeah. I, I understand, and it's one of these legal bases I have to say I'm still in the process because um, it's right and proper and appropriate, I do. And this is where we would come in again. So if somebody disagreed, then they would complain to us and then we would investigate. Yes, it's the, the process would be to challenge the organisation first as an individual, but then to bring the evidence to us and we would make, ask them some questions ourselves and want to see the decision-making process they went through to come to the point of view where they said, actually, no, it's not appropriate. So it may be that um, the uh, information you were given about how the data was going to be processed wasn't quite right and you thought it was consent, but it turns out it isn't. So it may be that your data isn't corrected, but we, some of our words of advice or action we take may be telling the organisation to do better at um, providing the information in the first place so that you've got a better understanding of what's going on. Which is also highlights why it's so important for organisations to keep records of every decision they make and make sure that their policies and procedures are written down and they can be followed yes that's it it's important for them it's not for the individual to make the case as to why um, something should happen necessarily it should be the organization that says this is the decision we've made and if you've not documented that then you can't use that to, to show how you got to where you got to so right number eight the right to restriction of processing Yes, yeah, so this is a right that might be used before we get to the right uh, to erasure. So this could be if there are questions about the accuracy of the data um, and um, you don't necessarily want to make the request for it to be deleted yet, but you don't want the organisation to carry on using it whilst there's this accuracy issue or while you're disputing the fact that there's no lawful processing condition. So they shouldn't be processing this, but actually, can you keep the data um, but just don't use it um, so you can exercise this right um, to restriction of processing just to say um, you can still keep it because keeping data is processing but put it away somewhere don't let people see it don't use it for anything um, and um, until we've resolved the issue around this uh, so this is quite a, a, a useful powerful <coughs> right if you don't want to go as far as deleting data but you want to just give um, take it off the table until like some pause. of those issues are dealt with yeah uh, so right number nine, the right not to be subject to decisions based on automated processing. Yes, so this is the idea of um, doing away with computer says no. So there are some processes that are done entirely automated. So data is thrown into a computer and the computer runs it through programs, algorithms, sort of comes out with an answer at the other end and that's the answer that sticks. And we've all seen the Little Britain computer says no sketches where it's the most ridiculous things in the world and you know they've just not done anything, not, not had any human involvement in that process, and they're just relying on the computer. So this says that you should be being told when that's happening, when there are automated decisions being made, so that you are aware of that, and also that you have the right to say, I'd really like a human to look at that. Because a computer is very good and it can assimilate lots of information, but it's not very good at nuance. And it's only as good as the information you put in. Yes, that's it. So um, getting a human to look at it, um, We'll, we'll add the, that sense of nuance, we'll take on board different things because a computer will see a figure um, and 50p over that figure and £500,000 over that figure, to them it's all over the figure and it's not going to say 50p is fine but something else is, 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 is wrong. So it might then impact your credit reference score or something like that or a decision about giving you a loan. Whereas a human would look at it and say it's 50p, come on, we want the business for the organisation. So they would override the computer and say in this case we will but £500,000, no the computer was right, we're not getting anywhere near that. Um, and so it's just making, uh, giving people the opportunity to have 
have just an eye cast over those decisions. A good example of that one is probably the exams fiasco last year as well, where an algorithm was determining grades yes. and not taking into account a lot of other factors and actually counting things that perhaps shouldn't be counted. Yes, that's it. So it was doing some weird things and because it was the smaller the class the size. class sizes, the, yeah. the different the results and those sorts of things. And yes, so that was one of the things that came out of that, one of the um, actions that some of the groups fighting those decisions were looking to to take were to challenge on the grounds of automated decision making and the right not to be subject to that. Um, and it um, would have made it more likely a, a, um, a, a complaint or a, 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 the exercising of this right would have worked on the basis that it seemed so skewed as well as anything else. It was just it didn't seem to be um, working in an, in an appropriate way. And then well, we all know they backtracked in the, in the end and decided we'll do it better. And they, and they built that in again, because unfortunately, again, no exams have been sat this year. So <laughs> hopefully come August, we won't be in the same place we were last year with uh, the automated decision making. So right number 10, then our last right, the right to data portability. Yes, yeah, so this is um, a, a new right that is there to enable you to get back the data that you have given an organisation in a machine readable format. And that is in order to make it simple for you to change suppliers for some things. And in the UK, they already have this around banking, where it's so much easier to change your bank now than it ever was because they've got switching things in place, similarly with utility uh, providers. So you can ask for the data um, that you have provided <clears throat> to an organisation to be given to you in a machine-readable format. So it will come in, it might be on a disk, it might be on a, a USB stick, it might be a file they send you with a weird uh, extension that you're not used to. And if you were to open it up, you look at it and go, I don't understand any of this because it's encoding, it's in XML, it's a CSV file, it's, it looks slightly weird. But if you were to give that to another organisation, they could run it into their system and then all that data would be there. So it could be useful for things like changing insurance companies, um, those sorts of things where it's the information that you've provided. But it is only the information you've provided, so it would be what you've given them in initially, what you've given them as your journey has progressed, but you're not going to get anything in this format of what they're doing with that data in the back end and any new information they've created. If you want that, you're looking at the right of access. But um, portability is this right to enable you to not have to fill out forms yeah, all the time. Say, just save you a bit of time <laughs> yes. and the admin. This is it, as I've done this a million times, or I want, I'm shopping around because I want to find an insurance policy that I like, that's the right premiums, that's the right coverage, but I've already given this information to one insurance company, so can I just pass it around the others as well? Um, and you can actually, under this right, ask that the organisation pass it to another organisation um, so that you don't get involved in that, or you can be the conduit if you'd rather, but this is a new right that exists. So we've run through all of the 10 rights and you've outlined what all of those mean. Um, so what about the actual, for the individual who wants to exercise these rights, you know, what about making that subject access request or whatever it is that they want to do? How easy is that? Um, that's relatively straightforward. You contact the company and you ask them or tell them that you wish to exercise that right, provide the information that they need in order to assist that. So who you are, an account number, and, and so, they, so they can identify your information. Um, um, and an explanation as to what it is you want to happen. Now, once an organisation has that information, they have a month in which they need to respond. And that response might be, we've done exactly as you've asked for, here's a letter confirming that, here's the data you've asked for, uh, whatever it is, and, and you have that information within that one calendar month. It might be um, 
okay, we've looked at this, um, it's quite a complex request, you're asking for quite a bit, it's going to take some time to pull this together or to run this through the systems. Um, so they can at that point say it's going to take them another two months, but they should tell you within the first month that it's going to take any extra time so that you know what's going on. We're back to openness and transparency and fairness, and it's only fair you know what's going on, that they've got your request and they're doing something with it. Alternatively, you might get a response back within that one calendar month that says we're not doing it. So for whatever reason, and they should have a, a, a lawful reason for doing that, it might be an exemption, it might be an exception, whatever it is, they should have documented why they've decided they're not going to do that. And there are some reasons actually in a separate section of the law as to why they might refuse a request. So if the request is manifestly unfounded, they will, they can refuse the request. So if they haven't got the information you're after or if they can't find the information because you've not given them enough information then it may be that the request is manifestly unfounded they can't do it so they will they could reject it or if they feel that the request is frivolous so you know just a silly request and and, and then, then they can um, either refuse or charge a fee if they think it's part of um the individual being vexatious, so if it's a lot of somebody having a go at the organisation, they may look to either charge a fee or refuse the request. Or if it's the 19th request you've made this week, they may turn that down on the basis it's unnecessarily repetitive or in some way otherwise excessive. Um, but they need to be able to demonstrate why they've made that decision. So it's not for you as the individual to say, my request isn't vexatious, it's for them to say that it's vexatious, to be able to point to behaviour that demonstrates that that's vexatious. So there is some protection there for organisations if there's somebody with a grudge yes. to make their life difficult. Yes, that's it. Um, so it's not, um, the law's not here uh, to enable people to um, be unreasonable, but the burden of proof always sits with the organisation to demonstrate why they may have made a decision not to do this. And sometimes it can be more difficult to demonstrate why you're not responding to a request than it is to just respond to the request. And that has been uh, done in a deliberate fashion so that actually sometimes it's just easier to photocopy the file. Just um, give it to them. Yeah, <laughs> rather than let's sit down and see how we can work out how to get out of having to do this. Mm -hmm. But whatever the response, you should be told originally within the first calendar month that um, something is being done. And it's either here you've got it, you're not getting anything, or we need a bit longer. And if you're unhappy at that point with any of those answers, challenge that with the organisation. And if you're still not content with the answers you've got, you can come to our office and seek advice, possibly lodge a complaint around that. So what I'd like to do is, I'd quite like to just summarise the 10 rights, but actually it, that's going to be quite difficult to do. But I guess the, the main thing is to remember that the rights um, are there to protect you, to um, protect your privacy and to make sure that your information isn't used in ways that you don't want it to be, um, to make sure that misinformation isn't perpetuated about you. I mean, is there a way to summarise the 10 rights and, and what it's all about? It's all about keeping you in the loop so you understand what's going on. And the, uh, frequently we'll get phone calls here where individuals are concerned about the way their data's been used. Um, they might think it's unreasonable. They might not know if something's going on. Um, and it's often because they've not been fully briefed on what's happening. So it might be entirely reasonable that that processing is going on. But if you don't know about it and you think that you're missing out as a result, you've been disadvantaged or you just did not realise that was what was going to happen, then that is unsettling. And this, the rights allow you to um, take action in those cases and to reassure yourself or... Um, ask organisations to do something about it if you are unhappy um, and so it is part of drawing you into how data is being processed and this 
social contract, if you will, about um, between you as an individual and the organisation that's doing whatever they're doing. And obviously we're not expecting individuals to be able to p- perhaps identify the right they wish to exercise themselves. You know, we're here for them to talk to, aren't we, to advise? Yes, that's it. We've got information on our website and we obviously have this podcast now. Um, and by all means, get in contact with us. If you've got a concern and you want to know how best to handle it, we can give you advice about the rights you have and the circumstances um, in which you can exercise those and, and how you'd go about that. And we're here as a port of call if you find you're not getting the answers you want from the organisation that's doing the process and it's got your data and doing what you're unhappy with because mm. this isn't about you know big brother watching us and being able to record everything about us you know there, obviously there is a, a degree of um, surveillance or um, monitoring that goes on mm. that is allowed to happen and has to happen but there are these are the protections in place aren't they to make sure that information about us is used correctly and that we know Yes. What's going on, basically? Yes, that's it. So no organisation should just um, ask for information from us because they feel at some point it might come in handy and no organisation should just go off and do whatever they like without thinking about data protection, their obligations and making sure that the individuals are aware of what's going on. It's um, part of that reassurance, part of that safeguarding around how personal data is used and also to make sure that they use your data right so that you get good service from them and that they treat you properly. So it's, a lot of it is about trust and cooperation um, and confidence in the service you're getting from the organisations that are dealing with your data. And if they're doing data protection well, um, if you know what's going on, uh, then that's likely to be a better relationship than if things are going on behind the scenes that you're not aware of. It takes us right back really to the beginning and the origins of the laws, doesn't mm-hmm. it? About how data was misused to discriminate against people, persecute people, and then ultimately kill people. You know, obviously that is extreme, but it yes. happened and does still happen in some places. Um, but these laws, that's what they do. They protect us. They make sure that these sorts of things shouldn't happen in mm-hmm. places like this where we have these laws. Yes, that's it. And um, it's also important to bear in mind that very often... Um, or there are occasions where organisations will uh, use data protection as a reason not to do something and that is very rarely the actual truth of the matter. So maybe there are certain things they have to do in certain ways. It may be that it's not um, ringing up your doctor without identifying yourself. You're not going to get your diagnosis because quite rightly they want to make sure you are who you say you are before they tell you anything. Um, But um, sometimes people will have experienced uh, data protection as being a reason not to do something and that is unlikely to be the case and these rights allow you to have um, an element of control over what's going on and visibility as to what's going on. So what we're trying to do is ask organisations to think about it from a different perspective so rather than being perhaps resistant to it and looking at at data protection and, and as a burden actually you know change their approach look at it from a that it's a good thing to do and changing our behaviour and culture will be a better thing all round. This is where Project Bijou comes in, which um, obviously you've been very involved in. If you you want to try and explain a bit more about why that's so important. Yes, Project Bijou is uh, the uh, project we've undertaken uh, to uh, encourage individuals and organisations to engage with data protection in a different way, to see it as something that is an enabler and that builds relationships. Um, and by asking organisations to think about how they use data and change the culture around data. So it stops data protection being a blocker, um, which is um, occasionally quoted and often unfairly so, um, 
I can't do that because of data protection. I can't do that because of data protection. Uh, yes, and think about it as a way of building those relationships. And sometimes it's thinking about what would I think if this was my data? And if the thought of it being your data makes you feel a little bit uneasy, then perhaps that's something you shouldn't be doing with the personal data. And you don't need to know all the different sections of the law to enable you to engage in that way. Um, it's in there thinking, does this sound fair? Does this sound right? If it was my children's data or my grandparents' data, would I feel comfortable? Um, and uh, just building that into your decision making and seeing data protection as something that can assist an organisation mm. rather than being a burden to it. It's like the seatbelt, isn't it, really? Mm. You know, people were very resistant to wearing a seatbelt in a car, but then actually it's become a thing that people do automatically and they understand why we have seatbelts. And data protection is our seatbelt. The laws are our seatbelt to protect us while our data is out there. Yes, and it's part of the... The the law might be there, the seatbelts might be there um, to make you do certain things, but actually it should be something you do because it's right and it's appropriate and it's your responsibility um, when you're in those circumstances to approach things properly and to to, um, deal with things in a right way, Um, which is why we've got the push in some aspects for ethical approach to things because um, just because the law says you can doesn't mean you always should if it's something that is um, unpalatable or just smells a bit funny. Mm. Well, Rachel, thank you. That was very helpful explaining what the rights mean, why they're so important, and also how they really do help to keep us safe and enable us to lead the lives that we want and that we choose to lead. As always, you can catch up on previous episodes of the podcast through your podcast provider. Don't forget to check out the podcast videos and blogs that were put together as part of Project Bijou, where you'll find world-renowned experts based in the bailiwick and further afield sharing their insights and experience discussing not just data protection, but how to bring about cultural shifts and behavioural change. And you'll find them all at odpa.gg forward slash bijou. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.